Well, hello everybody and welcome to the Hammer and Tulip podcast with me, Graham Phillips, and your other host, Mr. Gareth Dix. How are you, Mr. Dix? Hey, very well, thanks. A bit better this time. Yeah, all the <laughs> best before, but hanging out with you this evening. Good man, good man. It's, it's great to be back here um, you know, on the show uh, chatting about where is God in COVID? And uh, tonight we're going to be looking at shortly at an article by rt kendall which caused quite the stir in 2020 (laughs) and um we are looking forward to i guess uh dissecting what mr kendall had to say Uh, mr kendall is a legend may i say uh just as last time we had lots of uh, respect and reverence for mr uh, tom wright um i think it's only appropriate to to give respect to mr kendall as well um top 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 guy and um i think he's a doctor isn't he is he dr kendall is he dr kendall yeah i think he might be just in case me dr kendall dr kendall dr kendall um big respect uh, to dr kendall um lots of time for his work and i think the fact that obviously we share something in common with him in that he is uh, in in one manner of speaking he's reformed and um he's also uh, certainly a charismatic so i think you know he's one of our own <laughs> so oh, yeah we, there's a fun, funny little story that. actually about um rt kendall when um years ago uh probably before, well, before I was alive really, but uh, my parents' church, the pastor at the time was having a few difficulties as a new young pastor in his church. And um, someone in his congregation had said, well, the only person I will listen to is Artie Kendall. And it just so happened Artie Kendall was coming around as a guest speaker the following Sunday to my parents' church. No and, way. Uh, and um, that kind of sorted that out. I actually, I actually met him a couple of years ago. He came to preach down here. And so I got to meet and hang out with him for a little while, which was, uh, it was, lovely guy and so yeah it was, it was, it was quite really good to talk did he about preach um he preached at your place today yeah he preached um i think he preached on ephesians and um him and his wife louise they were both there and it was just quite exciting it was really exciting for me because i don't meet that many famous preachers to be honest with you but it, it was he's someone i've read his books and listened to yeah. his preaching and so it was cool to sit around a table with him and and so yeah it's nice to be able to talk about his um, excellent article. Legend, yeah. No, I was um, randomly asked by a good friend of mine who works for the Billy Graham Foundation uh, to lead worship at an event of theirs. Gosh, got to be a few years back now. But it just so happened that the day of the event was the day after Billy Graham passed away. And, oh, wow. And R.T. Kendall was the keynote speaker. And so um, I arrived at the hotel that we were staying at and I was invited to come and have dinner with uh, R.T. and my friend and a few others. Oh, nice. And they were, and obviously R.T. knew Billy Graham and was sharing stories about uh, their times together. So I always remember that, you know, top guy, really unassuming. Um, and uh, yeah, just, just a bit of a hero, really. So yeah. Uh, yeah, good times, and we look forward to speaking about him. Um, on to, uh, uh, sadly, um, somebody who would certainly have been classed in that bracket as a, as a Christian modern hero, uh, Ravi Zacharias, you know, um, sadly passed away in May 2020. Um, and today we are raking the embers of just such devastating news aren't we um yeah. and you know the ravi zacharias international ministries has today released a statement with an attachment from their 
uh, investigate uh, the investigators, third-party investigators that they had looking into some of the allegations of sexual abuse and misconduct on Ravi Zacharias's part, and it's just dreadful reading, isn't it, Gareth? And um, yeah, you know, our worst fears really have been realised uh, in that not only do the initial allegations uh, certainly seem to be true uh, but there are more you know and uh, a lot more and and there are some certainly that that may never some some, uh, victims who may never come forward to testify so it's just such I don't even know where to begin really it's just such a sad state of affairs and my heart goes out to his widow um, Margie I think it is and to the rest of the family as well just horrible times and um, difficult to really know where to to start processing these events really Gareth I don't know what your thoughts are oh well gutted really um, it's sort of I suppose the only way, I'm just thinking today about it and it, it feels like one of those gospel defeats or however you describe it kind of like it's a, a battle lost or whatever it's something where you you do sort of you think about all the people that came to faith in Christ because of his ministry because of his mm. uh, yeah. preaching and and then when you find out um, you know it's, it's, I think it's Anissa uh, Ch- Childers who um, makes that quote about what what happens when your your lifeboat springs a leak because she really her faith was really kind of um, shaken and and actually really his preaching on the radio his answering questions on the radio really helped to bring her you know into a into a, a strong walk with god and and yeah. she was talking very honestly and frankly about how what a nightmare this whole situation is particularly for someone who who his ministry has really had a profound effect on but you have to remember that he is just a man and it just reminds us that the only person is Christ that really we should follow and yeah. I think we we do we do make uh, idols out of people uh, and I mean for at least for me he, uh, I really struggle with the fact that he was such a hero of mine and someone that I used to listen to all the time on YouTube and yeah and it, it does feel raw I'm, I'm not gonna lie it does feel raw it is devastating I, th- I think you know to be honest even though I studied apologetics, uh, Ravi wasn't my gateway drug. To be honest, that was William Lane Craig, and uh, yeah, so love I um, really only kind of dabbled in the shallows of, of uh, Ravi's work, but always found him to be uh, extremely intelligent, winsome, um, kind of genteel apologist. Yeah. Really, very classy operator, um, and so. It came as a shock, but at the same time, mate, it didn't. Do you know what I mean? There was a level to which it didn't shock me. And I think the reason is that when you have somebody with such international fame, somebody who's traveling globally on a regular yeah. basis, and also, I guess, the kind of elevated profile that Ravi had, there's always the da- you know that there's always the danger out there of these people being lured in by the devil. Um, into sexual misconduct because they're away from home so often. And so on that level, you know, at first the allegations that came out of him having an affair, I thought it's so sad, but it's it's just in this day and age, it just isn't much of a shock anymore. And that's dreadful to say, but these things happen way, way, way too, um, way, way, way too commonly. Um, But I think the depth of the, the scandal is is what really shocks me is is not the fact that he's had an affair it's the fact that he's 
you know, this is clearly a double life that he was leading um, for some time and covering up. And I think it was the willful covering up, really, that was the shocker is just like, there didn't seem to be any repentance, did there? No, um, I, I think that's what's, what's really quite chilling about it is that it really was saying one thing, doing another. Yeah. And and I think it's, a, what I find really chilling about that is we, si- we see time and again, the Bible warns us about this. You know, the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians about that, that there mustn't be even a hint of sexual immorality among you. Yeah. And, and the, the Bible is very clear about that call to holiness. So you think, well, you're teaching the truths about God and you're teaching about his word. Um, surely you must know, do you believe this or not? You know, is that real sort of disconnect between, well, do you actually believe this? And you preach as someone who passionately does, but clearly there's a disconnect between what you're saying and what you're doing. And we all have that problem to some degree, but there is a point where it feels like there was such a chasm between what he taught and what he did that you start to wonder, did he even believe what he was saying? Yeah, uh, and that is the challenge, isn't it? It's just... It's, that's the confusing side of it, really, that there was no repentance before he died. Um, not certainly any public repentance um, that we know of. Um, it just makes the whole thing more confusing. Um, does it invalidate entirely the work that he's provided? I'm not sure I could say entirely because he's done a lot of work in raising new apologists, people that are now going to benefit the the world for years to come but i would say that his testimony has been for me irreparably damaged yeah and certainly the testimony of rzim has been irreparably damaged and that's what's so heartbreaking you know that's a it's a fantastic organization and to me when i was reading the report it you know of course there will have been mistakes made they will have dropped the ball in some areas but that for me looking at what they they tried to do they really did try there were for me i could see effort on their part to try and at least keep it keeping ravi accountable um you know this wasn't to me like a hollow shell organization that's just pretending to try and um well it's not a hollow organization that was just literally just essentially him you know that it seems no. to me that it was a real functioning organisation and is indeed today. Uh, of course, they have, they, they, you know, there's mistakes been made. They've apologised for those, I, th- I thought, very honestly. But it just shows you, doesn't it? It's like, I think you said earlier, it's just when, when one man sort of is bigger than the organisation. Yeah. It, was, it wasn't so much that there weren't the measures in place and the, the fail-safes in place, like... You know, they certainly had staff meetings. They they had a board of directors. They there were people that weren't scared to speak in to Ravi's life or to challenge Ravi by the sounds of it. No, but even then, it was just that he wouldn't listen to them. And you know, I think that is the danger when you have a character as you know, sort of enigmatic, really, as as Ravi, intelligent verbose very impressive individual great communicator um that's the difficulty isn't it when you've got one individual like that who is kind of indispensable really to everything that you do um there are challenges then you know who can bring that individual to book you know who can really do that are there big people around who can can achieve that and that's that's the danger isn't it i think in in scripture obviously in terms of church we are given um, 
we're given parameters, aren't we, for for how church should be governed? Yeah, and the eldership, you know, the plurality of elders, and and how that must function. Um, but I do think in this day and age, uh, certainly in sort of modern celebrity culture, um, those parameters they they can so easily be blurred with the modern way of doing leadership, and you can end up rather than a kind of a Christian missionary, they can end up more being kind of celebrity, a Christian celebrity. And, um, you know, you can build this kind of celebrity Christian culture. A friend of mine always says this, you know, it's it's not about who's who in the Christian zoo, you know, like no, yeah. you get this kind of, you know, big shots traveling around and they've got their air miles and, you know, they, they stay in hotels like 250 nights of the year and uh when do they see their family and and are they truly ever accountable to an eldership you know do they ever really sit under the ministry of the word themselves you know that's a big question isn't it and i certainly know people who are in that world they're on the kind of itinerant gravy train and i know that they don't go to church regularly i know that they're no. not sitting under an eldership that you know they they're not being really held accountable and they, they'll say that they are they'll say they are because they've got christian friends who they have told Look, you can speak into my life whenever. But to be honest, a lot of these characters are big characters and it takes boldness to, to stand up to somebody like that and say, listen, you need to stop traveling now. Yeah, You need to sit down. You need to take time out, be in a church, sit under some discipline. That's what you need to do. There, I mean, it's it's difficult to do that. I mean, I know the thing is across, I've uh, met a few people um, some of the speakers at Zach Trust who've come to do talks, really good talks at church and things like that. And, and, and you chat to them, they, they all go to a local church. They all belong and are part of a local church. You know, most of them don't preach in their churches. They tend to just kind of sit in the congregation and sit under you know, leadership and, and the preaching and ministering of, of another. And whereas, like you say, you've got someone who is traveling around and they become this kind of almost talismatic mercurial person yeah. that isn't accountable to anybody and it's almost people everybody in the church world thinks they're amazing so they almost kind of have this kind of um almost kind of be put on a pedestal and always become a little bit of an oh, idol definitely that, yeah and that, that these are that these are the people that you know preachers in churches are quoting him and and all that sort of thing and in awe of him a bit and i, I think it's no man is meant to have all woman is meant to have that kind of acclaim we're not you know once we once our pedestal gets too big we we are in real danger of completely forgetting why we're there in the first place and i also think like you know as you mentioned when you become or someone like that becomes so big that the organization is named after you founded after you and and it almost becomes well if he gets upset and leaves then what we're going to do because you know the whole that's where you've got a house of cards haven't you i think because you're in if trouble. The whole thing, yeah. You're in trouble. If if it's named after one person, it's kind of all about them, even though that wasn't the intention to begin with. And I think lessons will be learned across the board. I think so. We always learn from these things, don't we? I think so, mate. And I, th I think we could, like you say, we can all learn lessons. Um, number one, like one, we'll say number one, one of the things that stuck out to me really in the report um, from the investigators was that um, that there had been some questions asked by yeah. RZIM, some members of RZIM about 
Dr. Ravi Zacharias's activities, especially when he would go on long seasons uh, over to Bangkok writing books and stuff like that. And I think he would travel alone during those yeah. times. Um, there were questions asked about that, uh, but he responded kind of angrily and, and it was kind of buried very um, defensive and-, and then he said there was also a, a comment that basically said you know they many of them just left it alone because they thought oh it's you know ravi ravi's just so innocent like he doesn't think like that like they were trying to help him they didn't actually think he was in sin they were just wanting to avoid the appearance of sin yeah weren't they so they were like oh you, i don't think you should travel with your masseuse and i, I don't think you know that you should be going to these places like Bangkok on your own for long periods of time you know and it doesn't look good but then there was this prevailing thought it seems or well certainly mentioned it that they thought oh well he's just so innocent he just doesn't think like that it's not he wouldn't he wouldn't do it and that's the thing there mate it's like yeah it's understanding like that our hearts our hearts are and our flesh when i say our hearts i mean our fleshly nature the but the you know the body of sin is always going to crave sin right yeah like we're yeah. so depraved and but by the grace of god and the holy spirit you know we would be at the mercy of all manner of vile sins right yeah, and, and i guess deliver me from this body of death <laughs> exactly like i guess that understanding has to be for me like rocked in the core of anybody who's involved in you know shepherding a a church community is understanding listen you know but by the grace of god but by the holy spirit no matter how lovely and innocent this this chap might seem he's dealing with the same fleshly desires that i am you know and and i know my heart gareth i know how much of a rogue i am you know and how much i need the grace of the lord and how much battle i need to engage in in the mind you know on a daily to wrestle against this body of sin you know my my experience i think is the same as anybody else's you know i'm a human and uh i think we need to realize that like when i read luther particularly about sin and just his wrestle his daily wrestle with his mind to 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 beat and to have victory over the flesh and over the devil i'm like yeah that's that's accurate and i think there's today is this just kind of we're a bit embarrassed to talk that way about ourselves yeah i think because maybe we feel like it might discredit us in some way you know might kind of draw criticism or people might not call us up when they want a preacher you know which is very much the case in the charismatic world it's you know you're not really allowed to talk about your own weaknesses too much um in that area so i think there's a danger there i think that we need to go back to a kind of a reformed understanding of the human heart yes. uh, and know that listen you know he might seem like butter doesn't melt but nobody's like that you know nobody's that innocent you know um so uh, that was those those were my thoughts yeah quite right and uh, just you know carry on praying for zacharias trust and all the godly faithful people there and the family yeah. and, and just everybody who's really and all of those who who Ravi Zacharias's ministry really touched them, and and they came to know the Lord Jesus through his ministry. That to pray for them as well in the, in this time. There's a lot of people that the fallout from this. It's like a nuclear. Oh, it's massive. Bomb's gone off. It's massive. I was teaching um, some apologetics to at a um, 
a group, an armed forces group last week. And um, yeah, there was a good number of them in there that had been deeply impacted by Ravi Zacharias and his ministries and had done some of their, their training, you know, and I'm sure they have been deeply impacted by what's happened. It, it's just, it is devastating. You know, it's like, I think it was, was it the other day, a couple of nights ago, You'll know this. It happens quite well, all too regularly, really. I was sifting through Facebook, and um, I came across somebody who had been quite influential as a Christian in my younger years. Um, she and her husband had been, you know, involved in discipling me when I was a teenager, quite formative in my quite formative years as a Christian. And I looked at the picture, and I was like, "Who's that guy she's with? That's not her husband, <laughs> you know." And it's not to rain oh, judgment, man. but it's just that, yeah, you know, like quietly that that relationship has obviously just ended and now she's with another guy they're not married you know and it's just it's just that that isn't an isolated experience is it really and i no, think it's not for me that, those are the things that really hurt you know when you see another christian who was influential had a big impact in your life and they have either like a huge moral failure or they just fall away from the Lord altogether. Like it is devastating, isn't it? You know, so yeah, yeah we must pray for everyone who's been so affected by this, you know? Yeah. Right. Well, let's move on, shall we? Um, we're looking at an article today by Dr. Artie Kendall. And uh, this article featured in christianity or premier to christianity i think it was something like that last year that's right um and yeah essentially it has caused quite a stir um <laughs> and we can read portions of it i don't know if you want me to read some of it here gareth yeah sure it's quite a long article isn't it so we can maybe just sort of like yeah hi highlights of it Let's, let's try and get some highlights. So here we go. This is uh, Dr. R.T. Kendall. And the title of the article is What If COVID-19 Really Is God's Judgment? Um, so here we go. Quote, The German philosopher Ludwig Feuerbach is perhaps best known for teaching that God is nothing more than man's projection upon the backdrop of the universe. He taught that people choose to believe there is a God who will look after them and take them to heaven when they die. In other words, human beings are always tempted to invent a view of God that gives them a good feeling. Recently, Christian leaders have been asked, where is God in the coronavirus crisis? One popular theologian, who I think we talked about the other time, has, right. has been quoted as saying that Christianity does not give us an answer to this question, but instead instructs us to lament. When another prominent leader was asked this same question, he replied, God is right in the middle of it suggesting the Almighty is found in the good works of the nurses, doctors, and other key workers. Other leaders have argued that it is God is too loving to cause anything like this. Therefore, it must be the work of Satan. My concern with this view is that it imputes more power and authority to the devil than to God. I am troubled by those who have a greater fear of the devil than God. What is God like? I suspect that many of us naturally resent the notion that God could in some sense be the architect of COVID-19. And if God is nothing more than humanity's projection on the backdrop of the universe, who among us would choose to believe in a God who directly causes COVID-19? No reasonable person would invent a God like this, would they? But the Bible confronts our deepest assumptions about what we think God should be like. The Old Testament prophets asked, does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? Amos 3 verse 6. And 
is not the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Sorry, is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Lamentations 3, 38. The God of the Bible says, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Isaiah 45, verse 7. These Old Testament prophets tend to refute um, Feuerbach's premise. They epitomize what many people hate most about God, the God who is sovereign over suffering and a God who has the ability to bring judgment. This is not a message confined to the Old Testament, though. The very first message of the New Testament contains a warning to flee from the wrath to come. Matthew 3 verse 7. According to Paul, we are justified by Jesus' blood in order to escape the wrath of God. Romans 5 9. God could have stopped COVID-19 if he chose to. If he could have stopped it, then he is not in control. And Sorry, if he could not have stopped it, rather, then he is not in control. And Hebrews 1.3 teaches us that Jesus Christ upholds the universe by his word. St. Augustine said, a God who does not know the future is not God. And I would add, a God who is unable to stop evil is not God. Does this mean because God had the ability to stop coronavirus and yet chose not to, he therefore caused it? My answer to this question is, there are some things we may want to figure out that God does not want us to figure out. When Moses saw the burning bush that did not burn up, he headed straight for it to figure out what was going on. But God said, stop, don't come any closer, take off your shoes, you are on holy ground. Exodus 3, 5. The difference between what God predestines and what he permits is holy ground. There are some things that God does not want us to understand. The believers in Corinth wanted to know why some Christians were suddenly ill, some weak and some actually dying. These Corinthians had a belief in the sovereignty of God, which was clearly present in the way they formed their question. They knew that something this huge had to come from God in some way. Paul agreed and then explained exactly what was going on. There was those in the church who had abused the Lord's Supper. They drank judgment on themselves. Paul explains, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 29 and 30. King David faced a very similar situation. There was a famine in the land during his kingship and it lasted three years. The Bible tells us that David sought the face of the Lord. Why did David do this? Because he knew that anything as huge as a famine could not have taken God by surprise. He knew God had a reason for it. Indeed, the answer was there is blood guilt on Saul and on his house because he put the Gibeonites to death. 2 Samuel 21.1 If God judges us by way of a plague, it is not for us to try and figure out whether he caused it or simply allowed it. The difference between what God predestines and what he permits is holy ground. Our responsibility is to take off our shoes and worship. It is my view that America is under judgment. I do not say this is the case in Britain, as I'm not qualified to know that, but I do believe America has received a double whammy in 2020, coronavirus and violence. After the shameful death of George Floyd in May, there came an eruption of unprecedented violence in the United States that included murders, smashing store windows, setting public and private property on fire, tearing down historic statues and attacking police. Never in my lifetime have I seen anything like it. I believe America is under judgment for four things. Racism, legalized abortions for any reason, approval of same-sex marriage, and theological liberalism in the pulpits. God is fed up. He has stepped in. There are five kinds of judgment. First, 
Retributive judgment. This is the principle of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. It's getting even. Second, gracious judgment. This is partly retributive and partly merciful. David's sin of adultery and murder displeased the Lord. Judgment was that that the sword shall never depart from your house. Yet God was gracious. The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, the child who is born to you shall die. Second Samuel 12. Third, redemptive judgment, as when Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness and those who looked at it were shown mercy. Numbers 21. Fourth, natural judgment. This is the principle of one reaping what they sow. Fifth, silent judgment. This is the worst kind of all when God does nothing. God is not like you and me. We tend to show it when we are angry. The angrier God is, the calmer he becomes. Sodom was not warned in advance. God just suddenly rained fire on it. It's not a good sign when God is silent. It's my view that God is trying to get our attention. I think that believers all over the world need to be open about the possibility of God's gracious judgment taking place today. The principle of gracious judgment is this. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Hebrews 12, 6. If we really believe in the God of the Bible, then we must concede that he's a God who can bring judgment. We must not dismiss this option out of hand. I would urge you not to take the popular view of I believe in a God of love, not a God who sends judgment. If that is your view, are you not arbitrarily making a choice to what you'd rather believe? Are you not forming a God in your own image? Are you not playing right into Feuerbach's view? I think that's where we'll end with the quote right there. Um, Because it pretty much finishes up just after that uh, with a quote from John Lennox. Um, So I think... I don't know about you, Gareth, but when I read this first, um, I I was largely in agreement with what R.T. Kendall had to say. I have Absolutely, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I think I, I think the title, um, in a sense, uh, you know, the title's always there to make you click on the link and read what's said. Yeah. But for me, I think uh, essentially what what R.T. Kendall does is he throws open the door to contemplate at least that COVID nineteen may indeed be some form of judgment um from god and certainly um that that it's a possibility that one may consider as a christian which i think is a uh, is a reasonable thing to say as a bible believing christian absolutely so i think certainly his reasons uh his you know the the sins that he believes america is under judgment for um people have taken issue with um and you know i have things certainly to say about that but uh the one that he mentioned about theological liberalism in the pulpit i mean there's not yeah. really any denying that there's no denying no. that there was in fact there was a uh, something this week uh whereby i mean it was in the episcopal church of um the united states you know so <laughs> you come to expect this kind of nonsense but max Lucardi, who's hardly an orthodox individual himself spoke in mm. an episcopal church and um, immediately was um, uh, the, I don't know, he was the dean, the dean, I believe, of the church, uh, made a public apology um, for allowing Lucado to speak. Do you know why? Why? Because it surfaced that Max Lucado believes that homosexuality is a sin. And so this dean apologised uh, wow. to the congregation, to the Episcopalian communion, um, and uh, Max Licardo has since come out and apologised as well for his 
belief that homosexuality is a sin um so this is the kind of thing that's going on in the pulpit and it's 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 uh now a sin to believe what the bible says um and the righteous thing to do is to celebrate sin and so we literally have in the episcopalian church and in many others you know have literally turned the tables on what christianity is supposed to be uh, which is yep. a faith that is built on the word of god as something that has authority and speaks truth throughout the generations we've abandoned that we flipped the tables and now you know truly the prophets of baal have taken over and uh, we are seeing idol worship um in the pulpits uh, across the west so there's no denying this is happening and uh, has been happening for some time um so I don't know what your thoughts are, Gareth, about R.T. Kendall's um, article. I think I think it's a strong uh, it's a strong article. I think it's um, it's interesting because I agree with him, but like I think like you as well, I'd go further and say COVID nineteen really is God's judgment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just, at least that's what I would believe. But I kind of I, I like the way he's written it because I can see that he is. I think either he really does believe that it it's a possibility or like particularly like me and like possibly like you as well believe that it really is God's judgment but he doesn't want to kind of go out and say it in that way because you are going to get such a backlash of people reacting to a kind of a very dogmatic approach so I, I really respect that it comes across the way it's written I think is really well written and it strikes that balance that I think uh, the more mainstream Christian reading this, because this, this is Christianity magazine, which I, I actually am subscribed to. I think it's a really good magazine on, on, on all accounts. And it kind of gives you a good snapshot across the board. Yeah. Uh, and I think he's done a great job of actually writing it in such a way that it's not going to immediately get people's backs up. I love what the way he starts off by kind of saying that, uh, that you know, that this, this German philosopher taught that, people chose to believe there's a god uh who look after them uh, and so it kind of it gives it gives them a view of god that makes them feel good i just think that is absolutely right i think we mm. in the last 10 years or more that i've been in, in, involved in ministry i've been really aware of people saying things like well i couldn't believe in a god that dot 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 or yeah. i like to think of god like this you know like well uh, wouldn't you rather know what the Bible says about him? <laughs> like, I'll be honest with you, I, I I find that staggering that people genuinely have that attitude that, well, I, I, well, I just have an idea of God being like this or like that. And I think he really deals with that well. He says, well, look, actually, let's look at what God's really like and brings it into yeah. the Bible of pointing out, well, time and again, we do see that God judges. And that side of, of Christianity is something that has become so uh, missed out, I think, in, in our preaching and in our belief. We, we don't talk about a God who judges sin. No, we uh, don't. We don't like the idea of that anymore in our modern pulpits. And interestingly, I mean, he mentions liberalism. Uh, and, and again, I don't want to criticize him because I think there's lots of things that he could say that you're not going to fit into a small article. But he mentions liberalism which I agree with I just think what's missing is silence as well from the pulpits because I think yeah. for me in a lot of it you've got liberal pulpits but actually where are most of the evangelicals and, and young Christians and charismatics well they're actually in what you would call evangelical churches yeah. where it's not that they're preaching liberal messages it's just that they're actually being silent so yeah. there's a form of liberalism and not actually 
Well, essentially, there is a form of liberalism in that you're you're holding back from telling the whole truth. You're not preaching the full well, counsel of God. Failed to be a prophetic voice, haven't haven't we? Yeah, by and large. And I think by not preaching the full counsel of God, I think that is really where the church has been going wrong. And I think there is a. I agree with him here. I think possibly I'd go a bit more along the lines of the discipline of the church. So there's the punishment that we're seeing in the nation, but actually I believe that God is primarily disciplining this church. I certainly felt that prophetically very early on in the lockdown. I felt that this is actually more about the church than it is even about the nation. Because when we see in the Old Testament, we always see, well, it's actually Israel is the one who's, you know, God's focus yeah. is on his people. Yeah. I mean, I, I would probably, I think for me, um, I would certainly agree with you that, that the silence from the pulpit on the on the matters that Artie Kendall mentions, in particular abortion, the silence yeah. is deafening, and and um, it is a you know for me I think it's an issue of cowardice, it's an issue of moral cowardice um, in Absolutely. in the body of Christ, and uh, you know I've spoken up about this issue um, pretty consistently now, not to blow my own trumpet, but for a couple of years, and um, I'll be honest with you, it's not an easy one to speak up on because. Um, you can be so easily just clattered by people f because they want to jump on you. They feel attacked. Um, obviously, I th you know, it, it is a big issue. It's a big moral issue. There's lots of moving parts to it. But at, at, at the very center of it, it, it is not a complex issue. And I think, you know, you, you have scientific proof that life begins at conception you know there's no yeah. question of that from a scientific perspective uh, life is not conferred in the birth can canal you know um, life is not conferred upon the first breath um, and the value of one's life is not determined by the geographical space that your body's taking up you know um, <laughs> the, we we know that legally as well as philosophically you know when a when an unborn child dies tragically in a car crash um, it is said in the newspapers that the woman and the unborn, unborn child died together and often if uh, a, a lady like ha what happened last year or the year before actually in london where tragically a lady was attacked and murdered with her unborn child in her stomach. Uh, the man was actually uh, prosecuted for double homicide. Um, so we, we acknowledge that when it's in law, but for some reason um, the tables turn when um, a pregnant lady enters an abortion clinic wanting an abortion. Then this yeah. is not a life, this is just a, a clump of cells. And so there's many double standards here and uh i think this is a, this is the major issue really that i think the church is is missing here is is, is not understanding how much god hates abortion um that yeah. you know we're looking at i think it was the leading cause of death globally last year abortion 41 million deaths um so you know do your maths that's that's a lot in the uk in 2019 there were 205,000 abortions 97.8 uh, of those abortions take place on ground c i think it is I, I think that's correct and that's that is basically that there could be a a perceived risk to the mental health of the mother uh, but that is not a serious risk um that's another ground uh, basically that that could be that the woman doesn't feel ready uh, to have the baby and that that is sufficient grounds to then terminate the life of that baby and uh, now, now <laughs> uh, for me then that's that's quite clear cut we're talking about nearly all of abortions are carried out on that uh, grounds we're not talking about 205,000 babies with serious 
physical. It's inconvenient. It is. We're afford, not. They can't and afford this them. Is, don't want the them. counter argument you is know. essentially well. You know, many of these babies wouldn't have had a viable chance at life. It's just simply not true. Um, no. You know, please, you know, by all means, check out the government statistics. Do your work on it. I certainly have. Um, uh, you know, we're not talking about babies you know fetuses children in the womb without um a viable chance at life we're talking about healthy um babies in utero um overwhelmingly and uh, we're talking about them being killed uh, because of convenience really so this is a huge moral issue that the church has been remarkably silent on and um like you say many individuals who are otherwise orthodox in the pulpit have failed to speak up on this they see it as a you know a conservative political issue but but i i, I see it as a christian issue you know that murder we have to oh have... we'll just keep that as political <laughs> yes well that's what's said isn't it you know oh, it's a political yeah. issue um right okay so did you feel the same way about the holocaust should we have kept that as a political issue you know did dietrich bonhoeffer should have kept quiet you know i mean it, it's it's things like that and as you know there's a massive amount of cowardice and <clears throat> it's there's almost a demonic kind of rage that comes over these yeah. individuals when they're outed for their hypocrisy and you see that with the response to some of rt kendall's points you know sort of how dare you you know suggest this could be god's judgment how could god want to judge such a an amazing world of people that he loves you know i think there's a, a criticism in something you sent me that ran similar that seemed to suggest the same thing you know how could a loving god do this and you're like well actually mate to be honest god doesn't owe anything to anyone as we've said before on this podcast god doesn't owe love no. to him. he doesn't owe grace or mercy to anybody um Yes, he is a God of love, and yes, he does love people, um, and he loves them with a perfect love. But at the same time, um, he hates sin. <laughs> he, he, you know, he is every day. God is indignant against sin. Psalm seven. You know, he, he, um, he is a wrathful God, and um, so I think we get things sort of turned upside down when we ask questions like how could a loving god allow this to happen you're like well listening at it, how <laughs> how is it that we get anything good in this life yeah how is it that we live and breathe on this planet and earn money and have families and do all these things you know that that's the incredible thing when you look at the depth of our depravity you know i was i don't know about you but i i, I do read um, quite a bit of second world war history and uh you know i was i was reading i've read night um by e eli um Faz is, oh gosh I've, I've forgotten his surname now um but night it's a great book and basically um i have to google it but uh he details how they would hang children before breakfast they'd hang children before breakfast um and then he would have to walk past you know, this kind of poor child hanging, gasping for breath on his way back from breakfast, you know, that was that was daily. You've got other stories like Treblinka where nearly a million Jews were murdered in the space of just a, a year, and I think it was a few short years. And um, the guards in the gas chambers, as the Jews were queuing up to be gassed to death and they knew what was happening, at Treblinka it wasn't like Auschwitz where there was surprise you know they knew hang on a minute there's no camp here we're just being herded into the gas chambers um there was a guard called Ivan the Terrible who used to get his bayonet and just yeah. randomly stab 
women and children in the queue waiting to get gassed you know we're, we're talking about a race of humanity that we, we not a race in terms of the you know the the background but the humanity itself we are a people that don't deserve anything good from god you know and i think that is something that sadly gets lost in the pulpit these days is, is understanding the the deep depravity of humanity and that it's only god's common grace essentially that holds us back from what happened at the holocaust happening more commonly you know more regularly either yeah i mean i'm just going to read this little letter which and the reason I want to read it out is because it's written by a retired bishop. So that kind of gives you an idea of, um, you know, what lot. I mean, actually, he's my, my old sending bishop. So, uh, <laughs> oh, dear. Awkward. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I mean, you know, lovely guy. But I just disagree with him massively on what he's, what he's written. But he says, yeah, go on. I read, what if COVID-19 really is God's judgment with mounting astonishment? A God who could allow the deaths of, mo of over a, a million of his children, mostly elderly, and the massive suffering of millions more simply because they needed to be told off for sinning. Told off for sinning, okay. <laughs> is not the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hang on, wait a minute. That's a massive statement right there. Um, okay, I'll carry on reading. If God could have prevented extreme widespread suffering but chose not to for some high-minded reason to do with his own righteousness and dignity, whoa! He would not be worthy of our worship but rather our disdain. I mean, I'm just going to let that hang there for a moment. Anyway, the God I love and trust is deep in the heart of the world's suffering, stretching every sinew of divine being to heal and redeem, using the skill of his scientists and the compassion of his people. This God is found hanging on a tree for the love of the world, not wagging an angry finger at it. Now, I don't have time to go into that completely, mm. but I just want to read from... Um, in 2, 2 Samuel 24, when God punishes David for his... Uh, his faithlessness and wanting to make, have a census of his fighting men and it, and this is in three days so just three days of Israel the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel from the morning until the appointed time and there died of the people from Dan to Beersheba 70,000 men but, you know, God just struck down 70,000 men. We read about that in Moses' time when, when the, with the golden calf, God struck yeah. down thousands of people. You know, uh, he's the same God in the... Uh, this whole idea that, oh, God's not the same God in the, old, in the New Testament as the Old, it's absolute nonsense. Yeah. Nowhere is that found in Scripture at all. In fact, we see that's what God is, that God is really like in the Old Testament, and it's Christ hanging on a tree. That actually means you and I don't get s struck down dead yeah. for our sin exactly yeah and this is the crazy thing i mean i i know the, that the bishop who wrote this he's a lovely man so i i know that you know this is this is a liberal view that, yeah and i'm angry with the view not the person because but yeah this is the view that so many people and he's not alone this is a prevailing view it amongst is a lot yeah. of clergy and i'm just i'm airing it for that reason because a lot of people will honestly believe um to be told off for sinning i think well hang on you've completely missed out about God being a holy God. Yeah, I think that's it, And isn't his it? holiness it's and glory, that we, t we spoke about that at length last time, didn't we? But that whole question of God's glory and his holiness and how we are mocking God's holiness by the, by the abortions, by the immorality, by the greed, by the, you know, you long list of sins of our nation. Well, this is it. I think we, you know, as a, as a church in the United Kingdom and in the United States, we've done a great job of hanging on to the truth that God is love 
But we haven't quite done the same with hanging on to the truth that God is holy, which is, of course, the trifold cry that we'll hear in heaven for eternity. Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord. You know, we, we, we've not done a great job of hanging on to that truth, have we? We've sort of dispensed with it or we've failed to hold it in tension with the proclamation and the truth that God is love, you know. Um, but you can't have one without the other. You can't have an all-loving God who is not ultimately all-holy, you know, otherwise he's not God. Uh, so I, we haven't done a great job of that. And um, I think certainly, you know, the sad thing is, is that the views of your, your friend, um, the errant views of your friend, um, are, are nothing new. And, and no. that is... Um, that is sad um they're nothing new and certainly they've been around for some time um but they they have not always been the prevalent voice i think that's the key thing you know that we are in a time now where that is really really is the prevalent voice um and i, I was reading uh a preach by William Gurge. I think that's how you say his name. is a Puritan minister, William Gorge, um, G-O-U-R-G-E, um, who was a minister in London during the sort of early to mid 17th century. And um, during the time, during a time when the plague visited London in the mid 20s, 1620s to the early 1630s, he actually preached a message um, he actually preached a message about this to his congregation. Um, and this is just interesting to read, you know, how different the views were then to how they are now. And so I'm just going to quote a little bit of this. Uh, here we go. So, um, yeah. So the objection that he was facing was that how can ministers say for sure that this plague is from God? The same question that many are asking R.T. Kendall now. They, they asked him back then. They said, ministers have not now such certain knowledge of God's mind as of old the prophets and apostles had, to whom God did immediately and infallibly make his mind known. William Gurge answered them. He said, no, we have a more sure word namely the holy scriptures yeah. which are given by inspiration of god these show what sins do most offend god and what do soonest pull down the vengeance from god upon the committers of them so as when ministers see such sins impudently and impenitently committed and i think that's what we have now yeah they may well infer that god purposes to send some judgment to such a people to this purpose it is that the apostle reckons up sundry sins that the israelites committed in the wilderness and judgments that followed thereupon that we should not sin as they did and fall after the same example of unbelief or disobedience on this ground says gorge Many ministers, well noting the sins of these times, and he's talking about his times there, did foretell that God would bring on this city, the city of London, a plague or some other judgment. So in his time, he's saying that ministers did actually prophesy and say, listen, guys, we yeah. see these particular sins abounding. Be careful. Be careful. God may bring judgment on this city, a plague or some other judgment. And in the beginning of the year, many did particularly foretell the plague itself. Their threatening was little regarded, just as it is today. They were laughed at. Little or no amendment followed thereupon. And now the plague is among us. And we know that when he preached that message that week, 405 people had died in his parish, which is a wow. pretty significant number for those 
those times. Now the plague is begun, he says, let us, my brethren, be admonished to repent. And as a fast is proclaimed, so let us keep it after a right manner, humiliation of soul and contrition of spirit, rending our hearts, turning to the Lord, fasting from sin as well as from food. Prepare to meet thy God, O England. Wow. This beginning of the plague is a real demonstration of a greater plague yet to come. If by more than ordinary humiliation and conversion God's wrath may be not pacified, this plague is like to be greater than ever was before in our own or our father's days. Even such an one shall make this city empty and make the ears of such hear, uh, hear of it to tingle again. He says... Uh, the question comes, are not diseases and other kinds of judgments sometimes sent for trial and for other like ends, which are demonstrations of the wisdom, love and care of God towards his people, as well as in wrath and vengeance to destroy them? And he says, this is the answer. We must distinguish betwixt particular or, or private afflictions, general or public, betwixt public and general afflictions, betwixt the persons on whom calamities are brought, being of different dispositions, though they are, be mixed together in the same place for cohabitation yada 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 so he's making distinctions here um, but listen to this he says uh, we read not of any public and general judgment which came not from the wrath of God wow so, so wow back there in the 17th century the assumption the, the the initial assumption that the primary assumption of these ministers was that any public or general affliction that comes is a judgment from the wrath of God. And the therefore the, the response was immediately fasting, prayer, and repentance. So he does go on to say that, you know, in plagues whereby Christians are falling ill as well as the unbeliever um, that this can actually sometimes turn to be a grace and a, a love of God towards the believers because either those who are sick and die are taken to be with the Lord in heaven of which there is no there is no other parallel good to go and be with the Lord right so they are being summoned home um, or their faith is quickened you know their faith is quickened by the experience and they sicken but they get better and their faith is grown yeah. by the experience so in all things William Gorge would see the Lord working things together for our good it's just not necessarily that we always know what the good will look like and the good to the Lord may no. not always feel good in the moment to us which is extremely difficult on a practical and pastoral level you see we all well, you and I certainly know and believe uh, that nothing happens in this earth, as Nebuchadnezzar said, and nothing happens in the heavens without the Lord commanding it and decreeing it. But when when circumstances come to us which are not pleasurable, uh, we know that on a very human level, our response isn't always oh, the Lord is in control. <laughs> He's working things together for my good. There's sometimes a gap yeah. between our understanding of this wonderful doctrine and then the uh, actual reality of us finding certain things in our lives to be challenging. But that doesn't make those scriptural revelations not true, do, does it? It just simply means that we're on a journey of sanctification and that we have gaps between our understanding and our practice sometimes. Um, so... I just found that interesting yeah. that for William Gorge and 
I'm assuming his contemporaries seeing as he's saying that these pastors are walking into congregations and saying repent or the Lord will send a plague this seems to have been their their predominant understanding was that these things do come from the hand of God and that does seem to be the scriptural yeah. witness as well uh, with, with the example of the Corinthians you know asking Paul why are we falling sick and he says because you're not honoring the Lord's Supper you know so I, I just think wow you know that that view is not there at all these days the prevalent view is that this is nothing nothing to do with God God is not sovereign God's not in control um, if COVID's anything then it's from the devil um, we don't really know where God is you know, presumably he's trying his best but you know right now his best not really good enough <laughs> you know yeah well, I just think where's the comfort in that that view that the crazy kind of uh, irony of, is the fact that if you believe that it's not from God it's from the devil then yeah like, like as Artie Kendall very you know very articulately points out that if it's from the devil well then well then where's god in this and and we can't rely on god and where's your assurance and where's your confidence in god if it's from god you can know well actually that means what is he wanting us to do how do we respond and i think it's very clear it's uh, it's a wake-up call Uh, it's a form of judgment that's actually sent to to shake us out of this i I, I mean also I, i think it's interesting what he says about holy ground and that, yeah, was um, there are some things that god doesn't want us to figure out certainly i've noticed uh you know deuteronomy 29 29 that the secret things of the lord belong to the lord and i know yeah. often people will say yes but why this and why that and it's almost like a, a you know a petulant child that just has to know why 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 and you think well actually there are certain things god doesn't have to tell you yeah uh but actually when as you say i mean that's an interesting one that there are certain things certain details to this that we don't really understand or don't really know like um what specifically uh caused this or why specifically is it happening or why now and all those sorts of things all those details but i think we can be confident as you shared for william gord is that this is a call a, a gracious judgment i think to actually wake us up because it's also he mentions as well uh Artie kendall about when god is silent and we see that in in romans chapter one where it talks about the, the passive wrath of god yeah. where god just gives them over to their yeah. uh, godless desires and gives them over to the fleshly desires so okay well, you carry on i'll see you on judgment day so i think actually i know it sounds a strange thing to say but i keep saying it until people go oh, i know what you mean i actually think covid is actually spiritually a really good thing because although it's very uncomfortable and as a you know as a guy lives on his own and i I find it at times where it's so like you know boring and lonely and and you do you you know think man i'm losing my mind i'm so bored and i'm so you know missing human interaction but when i i I, doesn't take me long to realize no that god's going to really bring some good out of this that we would never have seen if we were allowed to just carry on in our own happy lives just doing what we wanted i really believe it's good medicine i really do yeah you know i I think there's a there's a um there's certainly a call for us as a church to a place of calling on god (laughs) repentance um yeah and uh i think also there's a a cleanup going on in the church you know I, i don't like i think we can have a level of agnosticism about the exact reasons for what's happening and certainly i'd probably be on the side of saying um i believe that this is within the sovereign decree of god and i believe that 
the Lord is calling his church to a place of repentance. I don't ultimately know his mind to the point where I know why, but I know it's within his sovereign decree. And I know that sickness in the Bible and disease is, is always usually uh, when it's brought upon people is a, is a sign of judgment of some sort. And we know that the same sins that anger the Lord so profoundly are present in our culture. You know, So I think there are inferences, biblical inferences that we can certainly make uh, to, to guide us in this. Um, and certainly his judgment shouldn't be ruled out just because we don't like the sound of it. Uh, yeah. So I think that's be where, where I'd be at. I think on a personal level, it's uh, it's going to pull us in many different ways, this this trial. And it, and it is, you know, we, we are... That I know people who have, uh, who've had it. I know people that have fallen very ill. And, you know, sadly, we know some people who've passed away with COVID who are Christians, yeah, you know. Same. And I think... It's pulling our hearts. It's 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 a painful time, um, but we don't worship a God who is absent in pain, do we? You know, we worship a God who sent His own Son. You know, Jesus volunteered Himself to endure pain and endure suffering. So we know we're not without Him in this. And uh, I I do I believe this this pain and this season of difficulty and trial is uh, is going to purge the church. I think of much of the complacency that we've seen in it in the in the last few years and we might see emptier churches when we come out of this we might see yeah you know auditoriums emptying um as people their interest wanes you know and they find other things to entertain them on a sunday um but i think we'll also see a solid core of believers who are more supercharged than ever to go after the things of God. And so I think it's a purifying fire. If, if, uh, if I was going to put my finger on what it is, it's a purifying fire. So yeah, Gareth, thanks so much, man, for this time together. Um, Oh, thank you. We, we, we've had a great chat, loads of stuff covered today. Um, as ever, if you, if you're new to this, please, um, check out, we've got two other episodes and this is our little series on COVID and where is God in COVID. Uh, this is our series finished up with, but don't worry, we're going to be back talking about lots of cool new issues. Um, we can't wait we we basically spend our time on this podcast talking theology talking apologetics talking the church and um current affairs so that's going to be the name of the game in coming weeks and uh we we would advise you if you've enjoyed this give us a little rating um share it with your friends and get them listening along too and uh yeah we'd, we'd love to have you join us on the journey anyway god bless and until next time See you soon. See you all. God bless. God bless. Bye-bye.